Uh, this is Jeff Smith, cartoonist of Bone, Rassel, and Tukey, and you are watching a really great, big, beautiful podcast. I will say now working on Star Trek, uh, as I have been doing for the last year or so, uh, it is fun to be able to actually use the real history uh, <laughs> as opposed to having to having to make things up in Star Wars that would you know, equate equate to the Industrial Revolution or something like that. You know, here with Star Trek, you know, it is it is rational to believe that. You know, uh, Captain Picard would know quite a lot about Machiavelli and some of yeah. these, uh, mm -hmm. and I don't have to. I don't have to all the time. Uh, you know, sort of hide it. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast episode. I have no idea. We are at the GBB Podcast <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> nice. At the GBB Podcast on Twitter. You know what? There's so many episodes now that I'm just like, yeah, another episode. We're almost to 100, I think. We are. We're, we're closing in on 100 real soon. Well, and, and I feel like we should do one, something special. Well, I feel like we just had our like 52 one-year anniversary. It's true. I don't know. Maybe we'll be like, yeah, 200 episodes. Wow, we skipped 100. <laughs> I don't know. We should have, we should have some kind of party. Yeah. We'll, party at Justin's house. Yeah, we'll, do a meet we'll, up we'll at, at your house. Here. Yeah, we'll have a yeah. meet up right here at my house. Yeah. You can come. Everyone's Everybody invited. bring your Bring your passports. <laughs> so, yeah, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, I'm doing well. It's been a busy few uh, weeks for us here. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody. I don't know when people listen, so it's kind of weird right. to talk about. But um, this month we we had such a I don't want to say backlog because that kind of sounds like a negative right. thing to me. Yeah, uh, the the queue was rather large mm -hmm. for um, episodes that we had done and in the can, and um, so what we decided is for this month, um, which is September of 2016, for whenever you're listening, we actually released two a week uh, just to catch up, and uh, because I. I've talked about this with you, Justin. I yep. hate interviewing somebody, especially if they have something to promote. And mm -hmm. you'd be like, all right, well, we'll get to it. We'll put it on when we have a right. chance. We have so many other ones in the can ahead of them that mm -hmm. it's like two months before it releases. I kind of feel guilty about that. So Yeah, and then and then it could get hard to, you know, track guests down because they're not really some of them might not want to come on if they're not gonna be able to be aired for four months. It, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we just made that decision to drop two a week through September just to catch up and it made a big difference. Um, you know, we're still ahead by a few, mm -hmm. but it's uh it's nice to, it's a nice problem to have, really. Yes. It is. As long as we don't scare people away. We have so many people wanting to come on our show. We have no idea. Yeah. It's awesome. But Keep true. coming, people. But, but you know, it's my concern is, you know, listeners. Right. I mean, 
then you look at a show like The Nerdist, and I'm not saying we're The Nerdist, we're not Chris no. Hardwick. You know, they, they're up to like 800-something. You know, like they yes. do three or four episodes a week. And, you know, you talk about people who I don't know where they find the time. That right. Hardwick guy, man. I don't oh, know where no, he finds man. Time. Well, I, I think I think if it's your full-time job, it might be a little easier to find the time, but <laughs> maybe yeah, not. But, I mean, that's his podcast is like on top of 401 right. other things that he does. Public appearances. Yeah. Oh, wow. he hosts, like, he the, you know, two shows on AM. MC and mm-hmm. he does he, he hosts panels at like almost every weekend at different cons. I mean, he's all over the place. I, I don't get I don't know. This guy, <laughs> that guy's crazy, man. He's insane. But speaking of people who I don't know where they find the yes, time. This is like an excellent segue. segue. That's like perfect. That segue? That's yes. Good. <laughs> yes. We're, we interviewed John Jackson Miller this week and just listening to him talk, just listening to him describe the sheer amount of work that he's done in the past little while. It's just like you're, we're just sitting here, like looking at our screens when we, when he's talking, my like, mouth open, like oh my god. <laughs> yeah, we, we we think it's hard to d- juggle what we've got going right. on, you know. And then you talk to somebody who he's got um, on top of a lot of other things which he talks about, but he's got a a trilogy of Star Trek novels coming out mm-hmm. um, this fall. Actually, one comes out this month, September, and then October and November. They they're coming out one month apart. Each book is like a 400-page novel, and he wrote all three of them in a, in a year. In like, a year. he wrote them, edited them, you know, proofread them, and they were published inside of a year. Uh, and that's that's not the only thing that he did in that year. You know, he's he's he wrote a lot of other things and, and did a lot of other stuff. And it just kind of blows my mind that, you know, like, the, 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 the idea of sitting down to write a 400-page novel isn't daunting enough to me that to sit down and write a 1200 page trilogy mm-hmm. inside of a year kind of just it really just kind of blows my mind well right and that's that's writing it and then sending it off getting notes revising yeah. <laughs> that's it's just incredible it's, it is incredible so um go ahead i, I was just gonna go <laughs> back into it if there's anything else you wanted to say I was just oh gonna, no, no, no. okay fine. all right edit back into here all right so if you, he describes his uh workflow and how it happened in our interview so you're going to be floored just like us. I promise. He's, yeah. you know, he's and the books actually sound, they, they sound great. The Star Trek, uh, trilogy he has coming out. And really I, I haven't, I have I have a confession. I've never really read like Star Trek or Star Wars books. And You've never read a Star I've Wars never book. Re- no, I've never. How read- are you co-hosting this show? I don't know. Dude, I, you're fired. Anybody books. out there who's listening and is looking to co-host a wicked <laughs> awesome podcast. Bad. Send me a tweet. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, okay. I, this is a safe space. I can confess. That. It is a safe space. No, I, I'm just teasing. I did. I did binge watch the entire Star Trek Next Generation last year. So, well, well so did I. <laughs> okay, whatever. I, I did it and read the books at the same time. Uh, but, but no, I, okay. Fantastic so, to me. What's that? These books sound fantastic to me. They really do. And I will I will say I've read a lot of Star Wars books. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I when when the Zahn trilogy first came out, you know, in the 90s or whenever they came out, I read those. And then I read like the first wave of those expanded universe books. Um, and then I sort of fell off. Like I went to college and stopped reading the Star Wars books. And I picked up again last year when um the the new when 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 disney made all those books legends and the new canon started um i've read almost all of them that have come out since then and i don't know why i do know why it's because i write about them now and we're talking Mm. to people we're talking to the authors so i've read them all because 
I needed yeah. to, in quotes. Yeah. Um, but Star Trek, mm-hmm. and this is my this is my confession. I think I've only read one Star Trek novel, mm-hmm. and it was one of the books where the Next Generation crew teamed up with the X Men. Okay. okay, because. How can you not how can you not read a book that stars the next generation crew fighting alongside the X-Men? Right. Picard and Wolverine side by side. It really was. You joke <laughs> that's what this was. That sounds that sounds like there should be a movie made, like a like a drive-in movie made. Yeah. So so that's cool. the only one that I've read. My mom, who's like a super trekkie, mm-hmm. I don't know if she still buys them, but she had she's got hundreds of Star Trek books. She used right. to collect and read them all. Um, so if I ever want to read them, I know where to go. There you <laughs> just go. Call you have a library to choose from. Exactly. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, his, the new books that he's got coming out, Prey, the Prey trilogy, mm-hmm. September, October, November. Uh, they what I like about them is that they span the the original. They span the twenty third and twenty fourth century. So they span from the original series to the next gen, um, which everybody knows are the two best shows. Right. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's not even a question, right? <laughs> All right, so we're going to go play that interview for you right now with John Jackson Miller. Enjoy. Just keep your jaw off the floor. <laughs> John, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Hey, it's my pleasure. Um, I wanted to start off by saying, I, you know, doing a little bit of research, I found it interesting that you have degrees in journalism and comparative politics. Um, and I'm just wondering how you took that training and partly that into a career as a writer of mostly science fiction. Well, the journalism came from, in part, uh, you know, I was doing mini comics and fanzines back in the days before, you know, we had websites and blogs and uh, web comics. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I, I became the editor of my campus newspaper and uh, in high school and then uh, in college as well. And so uh, I was positioned to, you know, after uh, after graduate school, I uh, edited a line of trade magazines for the lumber industry for about a year. Uh, lumber is not as exciting as you might imagine. I don't uh, know. I can imagine it being pretty exciting. <laughs> well, you know, I lucked out and found an ad in uh, my favorite magazine, Comics Buyer's Guide, uh, mm-hmm. that they were looking for uh, a uh, editor to run the trade magazine for the comics industry, which was called Comics Retailer. Uh, and so I, I moved to Wisconsin over 20 years ago, uh, where I've been ever since. Uh, and uh, I worked for about uh, 13 years, both as both editing. Uh, I eventually was editing the whole line, not just the the trade magazine, but also the consumer magazines. Uh, and also, uh, you know, we had magazines in our game division, including Scry, which was the card game magazine. Right. Uh, all during this time, I, you know, was making contacts in uh, the comics industry. Uh, you know, people got to know that I knew something about the the field and something about how to write. And uh, I got the chance to pitch to Marvel uh, after I'd kind of stepped back from the magazines to, you know, do do other things in the department. Uh, and that led to my getting uh, to write Crimson Dynamo, which was uh, sort of my demo reel uh, based on the Marvel, uh, the Marvel uh, supervillain in 2003. Crimson Dynamo led to a year on Iron Man. Iron Man led to Star Wars, and then Star Wars pretty much has opened all the other doors since then. 
Now, you had asked about the other degree. That comparative politics degree is actually another word for Soviet studies. I think I got the last Soviet studies degree that was offered in this country because, you know, and I've, I've used this line many times before, but it's true. The, the Soviet Union collapsed on my dissertation. I probably would have gone further with that uh, it had not the, been for the fact that everything that I was studying vanished, uh, which was not a bad thing. It was right. you know, it was good, but I was left with all this material that I wasn't able to use. Well, where did I start using it? Well, obviously, Crimson Dynamo was the Russian version of Iron Man, so I I was able to update that character for you know the the post Cold War, uh, and then I've gotten to use it a few times since then. Um, you know, I did a novel and a comic series uh, uh, for uh, Dark Horse and Del Rey uh, called Star Wars Knight Errant, mm -hmm. uh, which was about a bunch of competing fiefdoms of Sith Lords who all had a different idea about. Uh, what it meant to be Sith, and they were battling with each other as well as battling with the Republic. And, and that kind of came from you know, my studies of communism in multiple different countries, because you know, Soviet communism was not the same as Chinese communism, which was not the same as in Vietnam or Cuba or North Korea. They were all sort of different entities. Uh, and so, yeah, I was able to trade a little bit on that. And uh, then probably most directly, uh, when I wrote the novel Star Wars A New Dawn here a couple of years ago, uh, the novel that wound up being the sort of, I don't know, relaunch novel uh, for the yeah. for the Star Wars continuity, uh, yeah, that novel took place in the period where the Republic was transforming into the Empire. Uh, and, you know, I really was borrowing from what I had learned back then because uh, you know, we the empire that we see in episode four uh, has taken only 20 years to transform the Republic, which had been sort of this, you know, this trading organization, this interstellar commercial guild uh, into this military powerhouse. And I thought about it and I realized, well, you know, it only took the Russians 20 years to transform uh, you know, Russia from an agrarian economy to, uh, you know, this industrial military powerhouse uh, that we get in World War II. And, of course, it was at the cost of 20 million lives, right. uh, people that were killed in the process. Uh, and I had done a lot of studying about, you know, what they did to people and how they changed society and took control of things. Uh, I, sh I got to show that happening with the Empire uh, in, uh, in A New Dawn. And uh, so there are a lot of echoes there. I ended up using a lot of the stuff that I didn't think was going to go anywhere. Uh, so basically, I, I'm 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 sort of the environmental writer. I, I I use everything. I save everything and find a place for it. Yeah. Well, it's 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 interesting, you know, especially within science fiction, that you can bring in all these different layers of you know things that might not necessarily seem related at first blush you know i say you know oh comparative politics how does that relate to your writing but when you explain it it makes perfect sense and it adds this extra layer of 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 not only depth but realism and, you know it brings the environment and the the world and the characters alive in a way that it might not otherwise if you didn't have this you know things drawn from history or these the actual events and this is how it actually played out so it's only likely that that's how it will play out in the empire as well well i agree and i think that science fiction one of the main roles of it is it allows us to grapple with some of the more difficult issues in our own society at a distance at a remove so that it's not so polarized or supercharged 
you know, when you know we saw the original Star Trek doing this as well, everything was done allegorically. Uh, you, you, we, they never came out and said, ah, the Klingons are the Russians or anything like that. Uh, they, they never, you know, put a fine point on things, saying this relates to the civil rights struggle or, or not. But it clearly did when you, when you looked at it. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that, that you know, science fiction can do. It, it allows us to sort of look at our own world uh, through uh, a different lens, through a, through a different dimension, uh, so that, uh, you know, we can think about these things without necessarily, uh, you know, finding them as, as things to argue about. I will say now working on Star Trek, uh, as I have been doing for the last year or so, uh, it is fun to be able to actually use the real history uh, <laughs> as opposed to having to having to make things up in Star Wars that would you know, equate equate to the Industrial Revolution or something like that. You know, here with Star Trek, you know, it is it is rational to believe that, you know, uh, Captain Picard would know quite a lot about Machiavelli and some of yeah. these uh, you know characters from our our, our own history. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to I don't have to all the time uh, you know sort of hide it. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it's part of the part of the part of the part of the sandbox. <laughs> it's part of the toolbox that I get to work with. Yeah, um, you you've touched on a lot of different uh, franchises in your career, but I think. The one that you've played in the most has probably been Star Wars. Through all of you, you've got the the comics and graphic novel work and the novels that you've written, and you were one of the few authors who stayed on board after um, the Disney purchase and the canon was rebooted and everything. And as you mentioned, A New Dawn was the first novel released to the new canon. Um, as you were writing that, though, did you feel any sort of pressure or responsibility? Because you, I mean, did you know at the time that you were going to be the first novel in this new wave of, of, of Star Wars history? No, I did not. I actually found out about two thirds of the way in. Huh. I knew that the way that we were doing things was different. And that really is the only change yeah. uh, that the, 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 the working with the Lucasfilm story group, uh, you know, I, I worked with. Uh, you know this this it's sort of a roundtable out at, at Lucasfilm where they've got representatives there who uh, are familiar with what's going on with the movies, with the TV show, with the literature, with the comics, with the games. Uh, so you know we we uh, we have something where uh, you know there's coordination. So it's it's not simply a matter of things not colliding with each other. It's it's uh, you know now we have the opportunity for the novels to sneak preview characters from the movies or insert characters in the movies because, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're aware of everything. Uh, you know, I knew that things were going to be different anyway when I was starting to work that on that novel because uh, A New Dawn was a prequel to the Rebels TV series. Rebels wasn't remotely out at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had, uh, I was working from the story Bible and I had uh, conversations with, uh, you know the the executive producers of the series uh, via you know them giving me feedback on on uh, my plot. Uh, you know I talked in a conference call with Dave Filoni. Uh, I uh, you know had some feedback coming back about you know what uh, you know characters should sound like, even though you know nobody had been in the recording studio yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you know when it did come out and and people said, hey, this sounds like the characters. Uh, I really felt good about that because that meant that the process worked uh, yeah. and that uh, they were able to communicate to me what they did end up communicating to the vocal talent 
and uh, yeah, I found out about two thirds of the way through. Uh, they uh, had uh, they they had me and uh, Timothy Zahn both fly out to Lucasfilm uh, in 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 in, uh, in secret to do a video that uh, ended up airing a video about the EU and about the changes. Uh, this was in, I guess, uh, March of uh, 2014, and then they did the announcement in April. Um, I was still not entirely certain that my book would actually get out on time to be the first one because I think there was some question at that point as to when Rebels would actually debut. Uh, but it ended up happening that, yes, uh, I was first. I didn't really change my game a whole lot. I, I went back through and you know modified things a little bit so that you know, there is so there it read better to somebody who had never read any Star Wars books before. But already it, it going in, I had really pared back the references, the callbacks to other things. Uh, you know, that I, I was tending not to do a lot of that anyway. Uh, but you know, we were in a, a, a time frame where there wasn't a lot of other stuff that had already been established. Uh, in the continuity as it was. So there wasn't a whole lot to be done there. Uh, so I, I, again, I could I could imagine different novels being a lot harder to retrofit uh, right. than this one was. This was actually fairly easy. You, you touched on it a little bit, but in, in terms of, because you had experience both before and after the, I don't even know what to call it, the reboot, the retcon, the wiping clear of history. Um, you know, so you, you, you dealt with Lucasfilm prior to 2014 and then, you know, you continue to write for them now with the story group and Disney. Um, how different though, really from your perspective as a writer is that process of writing and feedback and, and knowing what you can write. And that that's part a, but also part B now with I guess beforehand, there was so much history and there were so many different stories and there was so much to keep track of. Is writing in the Star Wars universe now more liberating because you don't have to worry about all that stuff? Well, I would say on the first part, um, you know, back before uh, 2014, yeah, Lucasfilm obviously they have they have their fiction team. They they proofread everything. They approve the stories that that go forward, and everything went by Leland Chi. Leland being the keeper of the holocron. That's his mm -hmm. official official title. <laughs> uh, but I think then it was more of a matter of air traffic control, uh, of them being aware of all the other things that were going on and coming out. And just wanting to make sure that things that we did didn't collide with things that were in other uh, going on elsewhere. Uh, and it wasn't so much of a matter of content flowing in our direction as the authors in terms of, hey, here's somebody that you can, uh, you know, name here, name drop or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm doing right now the uh, I'm I'm writing up for my website where I have behind the scenes pages on everything. I'm finally writing up uh, some of the notes on my short stories that I've written, uh, and you know, one of them uh, was uh, a short story that appeared in Rise of the Empire. Uh, you know, they directed me uh, to see if I could find a way to insert a character into my book somewhere or my story somewhere uh, that was going to appear in Star Wars Battleground. Uh, mm -hmm. That that was the uh, the novel based on the the video game, mm -hmm. uh, and and so you know it wasn't a heavy handed. You know, this is what this story is about, but it was guidance in the sense of yeah, you know, here's something that's going to come out fairly far down the line, and if you insert this character now, it'll look like we planned it, uh, and <laughs> and in fact we did. 
Genius. Um, in the past, yeah, it was possible for characters, you know, in one medium to pop up in another, uh, but it kind of happened organically, uh, and it wasn't anything where, you know, it, they could actually do it by design. And and you know, now I mean, with the Thrawn novel that uh, that uh, Timothy Zahn is doing, yeah, this is something which is going in parallel with them working on the Rebel season that the character is going to be in. Uh, so, uh, you know, it it was very hard before you had, you know, film and TV because of their different production schedules kind of end up being on their own islands. Uh, and, you know, we did have the challenge when Co Clone Wars was coming out that, you know, it was kind of bumping around against some of what we were doing continuity wise. Uh, we don't have that happening uh, to that extent anymore. Uh, as far as it being freeing, uh, you know, uh, I, I have to say, you know, I haven't had as many opportunities on this side of uh, yeah. of, of that break as before. But one of the reasons is there's a, a lot fewer uh, novels coming out, uh, and I've mostly been working in prose uh, recently. Yeah, in comics, I certainly would be uh, interested in doing comics again, and uh, have worked at Marvel in the past. Uh, but I, I have kind of been focusing on prose over the last uh, couple of years. Um, but, uh, you know, I really, in, in, the, in my, in the comic sense, I had done about seven years worth of comics, almost a hundred stories for, uh, for star Wars. Yeah. Uh, so taking a break from that to go to prose for a while is, 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 is definitely, uh, is definitely, uh, sensible to do. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's a case where, you know, I, I imagine that the writers over there, uh, are feeling that, yeah, they don't have to research every single thing that happened between episode four and episode five. Uh, because when I've tried to pitch things in that time frame in the, in the past, uh, there's a lot of yeah. stuff that was in there to deal with. And I, I have to say that even though there were some great stories that followed episode six, um, I'm happy that, you know, I never have had the challenge or had to face the challenge of placing something in that time frame. I never pitched anything in that time frame uh, during the EU years because there was just so much. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, if if I were directed to do it, I would have been able to do it because I'm a professional. This is my job. <laughs> it's it's just it's just you know the, the research, the groundwork that you have to do. But you know, when we're talking about you know things where there are forty or fifty novels to deal with, yeah, uh, that gets to be kind of heavy. Yeah, uh, we recently chatted with uh, James Arnold Taylor, who at this point has played Obi Wan more than anyone else. Um, but what he mentioned when we were talking to the, him, we asked him, you know, what are you most looking forward to in the future of Star Wars, whether it's been announced or it's just sort of a dream project. And because of his connection to the character, he mentioned that he really wanted to see a standalone Obi-Wan movie. And he thought that your novel, Kenobi, would be fantastic as the source material. Um, I'm sure you've thought about it. Um, <laughs> going, but, but, but thinking back on it, you know, when you wrote that, that was before the Disney purchase, um, and you know there was no prospect of standalone character movies. If you were to think about it now, do you think, looking back on your novel, do you think that it would be good source material, or would you have made any changes to it, thinking that like, oh, this could be a good screenplay someday? Um, I'll tell you, if I were to write it again, I don't think I would change anything. Really? Um, the only thing that really plugs into something else uh, that is of any real consequence is uh, Sherrod Het. That's the uh, that's the the Tuscan Raider that comes from the Star Wars Outlander series, 
And I don't really see that there's any problem with mentioning that character, that notion that there was a Jedi who went Tuscan some years ago. I'm not sure that that's necessarily a problem. You know, there's also the character that was sort of the equivalent of the monkey Jabba from the Marvel comic series, uh, Mosep Benid. Uh, but again, that's another character. Well, it's reasonable that Jabba would have an accountant that would sure. go around representing him. So I don't see that being a problem either. I mean, the thing is, I already wrote that book to be continuity proof to a degree mm -hmm. uh, because I, when I originally pitched it, I pitched it in 2006 as a graphic yeah. novel. And the thought then was to try to minimize the potential impact so that we could get it past anything that might happen if George Lucas was to do the Dark Times era TV series he had been talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you know, so we, we already were careful there. You know, we ended up thinking, yeah, it's probably not best to do this right now until that gets settled. Uh, and I ended up going off to do Indiana Jones and various other things anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it it seems to me like it's it, it would be a fairly easy thing to to retrofit or resurrect. And again, you know, as, as we've said, you know, it's not that the old stories are gone. They're there to yeah. be used for inspiration. They're there to be used uh, for resource material, uh, for things like planets and locations and species and that sort of thing. And yes, if they were to wave a magic wand over a story and say parts of this or some of this or all of this is coming in uh, as a movie or as a new novel or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, that that's their prerogative. And and uh, and I think it's it's a good use of that material. Uh, you know, they, they chose the word legends in part because I think as as. Uh, I think Pablo Hidalgo from the story group was one of the first uh, to say it like this, that the thing about legends is that uh, they can be true in part or in, mm -hmm. in, in whole or, 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 you know, they can be completely made up. Uh, but, you know, they can sit there and coexist as, you know, pseudo history uh, or, or, you know, lightly remembered history or something like, uh, like that. The same way that, um, you know, what do you know about Robin Hood that's real? Right. <laughs> you know, we know a bunch of different things about Robin Hood, but how much of it is real? What do you know about King Arthur? King Arthur, that's right, real? exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, these are things that are, you know, closer to us in our own personal timelines than we are to the Knights of the Old Republic era in Star Wars. Uh, with yeah. the movies. Uh, so I mean there's there's a it, there's a lot of room to kind of say there and this is why they keep producing the books. The Legends books still come out. I mean, I just got the latest printing of uh, of Lost Tribe of the Sith, the latest printing of uh, of Kenobi. And, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, there's there's no reason these things can't coexist out there and then possibly inform something. Now, now as to specifics and whether they would ever be a movie and whether they would ever touch mine, uh, you know, my, my work, I don't know. I'd love to be involved in some way, shape or form. But I, you know, I think I read an interview where Ewan McGregor you know, said he was tired of being asked about it. Yeah, I read point. that too. He's a, I can't imagine how many times he's been asked. I mean, because, you know, because <laughs> either you're working on something and you can't say anything yeah. or, you know, there's no control you have over it and and you're wishing just like everybody else. But, you know, there was a time when Timothy Zahn was wishing that Thrawn could come back and that, uh, that, that all this could happen. And it happened. So, yeah. 
yeah, I guess the way that I look at it, and I, anytime anybody asks me about me and Star Wars or any particular thing like this, I just quote Yoda back to him and say, uh, "Always in motion, the future is." You know, <laughs> it's uh, we we things are cloudy, but they you know they can change. Yeah, just three three years ago or thereabouts, we never thought we'd see another movie, and look where we are right. now. So exactly, I mean, you know, I, I think I think as as we're recording this, uh, you know, I think yesterday was the what the fourth anniversary of the uh, of the announcement of the sale. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, that's that's how recent this still is. Mm-hmm. All the things that have happened have happened just in a four year period. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have three novels coming out in three consecutive months this fall. The Star Trek Prey trilogy. So, have you ever written three books at the same time before? Like, what was that process like? I have not written them at the same time before, and really, I took a year off just to do this. And uh, you know, it was uh, it was challenging, uh, you know, facing that many words at the beginning. Uh, you know, once we had the plot that uh, I was happy with, and the editor was happy with, and CBS was happy with, you know, just just getting ready to sit down. It was about a year ago today that I really kind of sat down to seriously uh, start writing it. Uh, and you know, when you're looking at that much ahead of you, you're not talking about one marathon. You're talking about <laughs> a three-day weekend with a marathon every day, uh, and and you know, there's a lot of progress that you have to make. And I, I, it got easier as it went along as I began to realize, hey, this thing actually is uh, how I imagined it would be or better. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the thing that just startles me and makes me believe that I have a future in this business is that each of the three volumes, uh, each of the three books, I was able to stick the landing and get everything that I intended to do to fit perfectly within it. Uh, you know, so, you know, they're all about the same length. Uh, and, uh, and really I accomplished everything I set out to do. Uh, this storyline is coming out here in the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. It's the, it's sort of the fall, the fall series we have, uh, Prey takes place, uh, mostly in the next generation era, several years after the end of, uh, Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, but there are a number of, uh, of, of flashbacks taking us back to the original series era, uh, particularly the days after Star Trek Three. Uh, Star Trek Three, of course, uh, has Christopher Lloyd giving us our first taste of what the, you know, the the, the, the sort of the latter area latter era version of uh, of Klingons are okay. uh, going to be like. We introduce the wonderful bird of prey starship, and we uh, we have. Uh, you, know, you know, Commander Krug, the "Give Me Genesis" guy. Uh, that guy. That guy. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, my book follows what happens after his death uh, to the House of Krug, which is this industrial powerhouse that manufactures these birds of prey, uh, and uh, and uh, the battle for uh, control of his house following his death, which takes place in the era that is. Uh, you know, at the same time as Kirk and Spock and those characters are around. And it follows uh, what happened to them and the survivors of that uh, conflict on both sides uh, into the next generation era where, you know, now we're celebrating 100 years since uh, the House of Krug was settled. uh, And the Federation is actually responsible 
uh, in this new era for uh, you know of where we're allied with the uh, with the Klingons. Uh, the Federation finds itself responsible for helping commemorate the battle that resolved the control of the House because that place is now in Federation space. It's a Federation planet. And in the new uh, in the new novels that have been coming out after uh, after Nemesis, uh, we find that uh, Admiral Riker, uh, William Riker, is now an admiral. He's a diplomat. Uh, he is charged with making sure that this thing happens uh, and and goes off smoothly. And uh, he is charged with bringing in uh, a team to do it. That team is Captain Picard and the Enterprise. Picard is has sort of been leapfrogged over by by Riker in the rankings uh, in the in the novels, but that's because Picard never wants to leave the bridge of the Enterprise. Uh, he, he's he's doing what uh, Captain Kirk told him to do in Generations: don't let mm-hmm. them make you leave that chair. And so we have this story that really delves. You know, that's the springboard that starts this political crisis. Uh, that sprawls across the entire Beta Quadrant and involves almost every major power really sort of stress tests the relationship between the Federation and the Klingons. There is a major, major role for Worf in there. Worf is the first officer now on Enterprise. Um, There are major roles, of course, for Picard and for Riker and his crew. Uh, we end up bringing in yet another crew because this is so big, uh, the crew that's under Dax uh, mm. uh, on the Aventine. The Aventine was the novel that, uh, or the Aventine was the ship that I brought into my previous, my first Star Trek novel, which is Takedown. Uh, and uh, and there's a, a lot of other uh, characters as well. There's a significant role for uh, the character Kalis, uh, this is the actual clone of Kalos, Kalos being the sort of founding warlord of, of the Klingon Empire. Uh, we see him cloned in an episode of The Next Generation, and he becomes the emperor. Uh, uh, in the novels, uh, the emperor has actually been in retirement for uh, for some years. I bring him out of retirement. And uh, there's just a lot of stuff, a lot of fun surprises in this series uh, and uh, I, I'm just delighted with how it, uh, it came uh, came together. Uh, my editor loved it. Uh, that's something you always want to hear. Nice, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so what we have are three books. Uh, Star Trek Hell's Heart comes out in the second uh, half of September. Uh, uh, that's that's uh, that's Prey Book One. Uh, and then a month later, we get Prey Book Two, which is called The Jackal's Trick. And then Prey Book Three. Uh, is uh, called uh, the Hall of Heroes, and of course, Klingon fans know what the Hall yeah. of Heroes is. So, um, you know, this is this is a wonderful story. I, I feel it's because I had so much room to work. Uh, the, 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 you know, I'm able to follow multiple groups of people and multiple characters at, at the same time. Uh, there are a lot of interesting subplots. We really develop. Uh, on uh, the the foundation of a lot of things that we already knew about the the Klingons, we get to see into parts of their society we haven't seen before, um, you know. And I got everything to work out. I did everything on the on the Star Trek maps, the official the official maps <laughs> of the region, and uh, and this thing takes place in real time. Uh, it comes out across three months, but the next generation part of it takes place during three months in 2386. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, book one is February 2386. Book two is March. Book three is April. Because it, it needed to be that to show 
you know what we have happening here. This is a this is a significant moment uh, in the in the you know in the continuity in the history of of both the Federation and uh, and not just the Federation but also the Klingon Empire and also the Typhon Pact, which is the group of uh, a rival rival powers under the Romulans. So here's something I'm curious about. Star Wars has. You know they're pretty notorious for have being having a tightly controlled canon, and there's a story group that oversees it. So what about Star Trek? How controlled was it when you were writing it? Uh, Star Trek is uh, is quite a bit different in that uh, you know until we had Discovery come along, you know there weren't going to be any more new TV series that we were going to collide with. Uh, but now that that's out there, although they're working in, in a different part of the time frame as well. Uh, yeah, there, there's been quite a lot of freedom. Uh, you know, there uh, other authors have, you know, had uh, you know Riker and uh, Deanna have a child. Uh, same thing for Picard. Picard got married to uh, Beverly Crusher, and they have a child. Uh, you know, they they we a, a number of things have been possible. Uh, you know, they've they've even found a way to restore data in one of the uh, one of the other uh, novels, uh, although he's not on on my bridge. Uh, but yeah, there, there's there's a good deal of freedom there. I think the 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 real thing, and and I've I've you know I've worked with CBS on this, uh, making sure that you know you represent the characters as they were intended to be represented, and making sure that you don't uh, do anything to completely redefine a species or a character or something like that. Yeah, they need to be recognizable right off the bat to the person who is picking up their first Star Trek novel right now. Yeah. So it's a lot. It sounds like it's a lot more forgiving in terms of contradictions between and among books. I, I think so. But we, we do keep the books themselves uh, within within the same continuity. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my novels do uh, intera- interact, uh, I think, really well. You know, not just with the other novels that have been done by the Pocket Books authors, but uh, there are even some connections in my novel uh, to the Prometheus series of novels that are coming out, uh, have been coming out this summer from the German publisher, uh, which uh, they're doing their original novels over there. And, you know, that that sort of material has has been accepted into sort of the literary canon uh, Mm -hmm. as well. So we, we had some conversations and we have some things going back and forth there. Yeah, you're relatively new writing in the Star Trek universe, right? I mean, I guess they could call it the expanded universe. I'm not really sure. Um, but how much research did you have to do before you really dove in with your first book? Well, the uh, the very first book I did was uh, actually a novella in the Star Trek Titan line, uh, an e-novella. And that was, I guess, in 20, early for 2014 that that came out. Then my first novel was, uh, was Takedown, which came out, uh, I guess, a year ago, uh, February. Uh, yeah, these uh, these books required some research. I had, uh, you know, I, I certainly had a lot of this material myself from being a fan over the years, uh, and I, I did some consulting with other authors and with, uh, you know, with Memory Alpha and Memory Beta, which are the Star Trek equivalent of Wikipedia, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, I was I was I was checking those things as well. Uh, now, Prey was on an entirely different scale because I was. Working not just in the 24th century, but also the 23rd, right. uh, and I, I was working with the Klingons, and as I've observed elsewhere, the Klingons may be the most fully realized, or at least the most researched and detailed species in any uh, franchise, alien species in any franchise that I can think of. 
you know, they've got their own language. They've got, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I ended up uh, consulting uh, an expert in the Klingon language to help me make sure that the words that we invented for this series, uh, you know, the etymology was proper on them and that the, the, the spelling was proper and everything. And, you know, I worked so hard on that. And if I got anything wrong, I apologize. But we have... <laughs> We have we 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 did the whole due diligence on it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so you know I had a mountain of uh, a mountain of books, uh, you know, hundreds of bookmarks on my computer. I ended up bringing a library cart into the office next to my next to my desk just to hold the reference materials. And uh, you know, I, I probably the most fun thing for me is um, there is a uh, there's a Klingon Klingon bird of prey operators manual that uh, was put out a couple of years ago, and since I have a squadron of these birds of prey that uh, are the setting for quite a lot of the series, uh, I, I was able to go in there and you know I can tell you every location that I mention in a book uh, in the in this trilogy exists on those schematics. Yeah. And, and if you wanted to go and follow along, you would find out that I've got everything on the proper decks. Uh, now, <laughs> now, that's not necessarily required. And in fact, yeah. you know, one of the things they say is every bird of prey is different on the inside. They're very forgiving about that. Uh, you know, the, the various houses would do things differently. But, uh, but you know, I wanted to try because I think that's fun. For the sure. reader, and it's fun for me, and it's certainly easier for me when I'm remembering where stuff is. Yeah, anybody who has the blueprints by their side can follow along. I love that. <laughs> that, and also the the star map. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. I kind of wish we had the maps in the book when when we did when we did the Lost Tribe of the Sith series uh, for uh, for Star Wars. Uh, they had me actually provide them the maps of the continent that the characters lived on and we printed the maps in the in the yeah. novel so I love uh, I love books with maps are sort of my weakness if I if I open up a book and there's a map on the first, you know the the opening spread like I'll buy it because I just love books with maps it doesn't matter if they're real or not <laughs> yeah I th I think that's uh, I think that's uh, you know obviously uh, you, uh, one of the selling points for folks like us <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, absolutely we it, it adds it adds that uh, flavor of realism to it <laughs> You, um, you know, we're talking about Star Wars and Star Trek. You've also written for Halo and Mass Effect and a bunch of other different um, licensed existing properties. Um, what is it about these universes that, that you find so compelling as a writer? Well, they pay in advance. No. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. No, they, no, they uh, I, I, no, I'll say, you know, it is, it's the difference between creating everything and, Walking into it, walking in, it's it's the difference between building a car and and you know renting one off the lot. Uh, you know you 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 uh, don't have to establish everything. You have a notion for how the characters talk and sound and and what the world what the realm should look like. Uh, you know and so you know it it's it's sort of a different feeling than when you're constructing things from the ground up. Uh, you know I I haven't done much in my own. Uh, you know, universes. I have one book that's out there called Overdraft, which is a science fiction, you know, space opera in a, in a future time that I I generated. And you know, both the fun and the challenge with that was that you know I had to create my own rules for interstellar travel, my own rules for interstellar communication. I got to figure out, hey, you know, this is a fun way to do. Um, this is a fun way to do spaceships that's in a different way. In that book, uh, 
one of the rules is that you know nothing larger than a railroad boxcar can use the transit system between between stars. So unlike all the other you know space operas that you see where there's huge starships going around, we have to take everything apart in the overdraft universe and rebuild it on the other side, just like Legos. Uh, so, uh, you know, you know, the, so ships can look different depending on what they're doing uh, and where they're going. And, you know, that was another thing with that series is I decided there was not going to be any instantaneous communication. So that turned it into the age of sail in terms of, you know, when you when you send your ship off, you have no idea whether it actually got there. Messages move just as fast as as matter does. Uh, you can't just radio home and 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 you know send a hologram back or anything like that and say, hey, we're here. Um, you know, all that stuff is already figured out for you in Star Wars or Star Trek or Halo or Mass Effect or anything like that. And then it just becomes a matter of learning both the the language of the the tools that you're working with. You know, over here it's an elevator. Over there it's a, a turbo lift. Here it's a phaser. There it's a blaster. Uh, you know, I think there are now like nine different terms for for hyperspace, hyperspace <laughs> or warp or slip space or whatever. Uh, so you have to learn those things uh, on the surface level, but then you also, you know, you have to learn the the things that are are endemic to what makes people like the series. A book's got to feel like the Mass Effect universe. A book's got to feel like Halo. You know, when I was co-writing the Mass Effect uh, uh, graphic novels for Dark Horse, that was the first time anybody ever told me, uh, first time any licensor ever told me to add some swear words. Uh, <laughs> because that made it feel more like Mass Effect, which was a more adult universe. Yeah. Uh, whereas you're not going to get that kind of instruction from Halo, and, and, and you're not going to do it that way, and you're certainly not going to do that in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, and and so you know, it, it's, it, there is a difference in doing your own thing to doing one of these other you know, things where you're kind of walking on the set that's already been built. Yeah. Do you hope to do more original? Yeah, I, I do have a project that I've been fiddling with in between books for so long, and I've had to put everything aside uh, this year because, of course, in addition to doing the the, the, the trilogy for uh, for Star Trek, in between that, uh, I did uh, two Halo stories. God, with uh, what time? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't have it, really, uh, but I, I, I did it anyway. I, I had One is a Halo comic story that appears in a book called Halo Tales from Slip Space. That's a hardcover coming out from Dark Horse in October. Uh, that, is a, that is an original graphic novel, uh, and uh, it, it's an anthology with several other uh, authors in it. But my story takes place uh, after Halo Guardians, after Halo 5, uh, and it's a standalone story, but it does tie into everything that happens in uh, in that video game. And then I have another Halo story coming out in another anthology. This is a prose anthology from Gallery Books. Uh, it's called uh, it's called Fractures, uh, Extraordinary Tales from the Halo Canon. Uh, and this is fun because it's a prose anthology with other authors that I've worked with before in Star Wars. Uh, Troy Denning has a story in there. Christy Golden has a story in there, other Star Wars novelists. Uh, and my story over there actually involves the Forerunners uh, and takes place, you know, 100,000 years before, you know, the events of the game. So it's a totally different kind of animal. 
Uh, somewhere in there, I also had time to work in yet another franchise for the first time. I, I did a I did a story for uh, a, an anthology that's coming out, I think, in February from Titan Books. Uh, it doesn't have a title yet, but it all relates to Planet of the Apes. Um, oh, you're after my own heart there. Well, what they're doing, what the the the, the conceit of this uh, of this uh, anthology, the the anthology stories all relate to the original five movies. Uh, okay. So uh, what's happening is I, I believe they are re-releasing uh, in a compendium all the all the original well first of all the, the original Planet of the Apes novel but they're also re-releasing the 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 uh, the uh, adaptations uh, that mm. were done for uh, Beneath and Escape and uh, and and the other the other movies uh, and these are by some pretty big science fiction names I mean Jerry Pernelli a famous science fiction author wrote the escape from the planet of the apes one, which I used in reference in my story because uh, they let me wrote it, write a backstory for, for escape from, from planet of the apes, which is when where Cornelius and Zira are in 1973 mm -hmm. uh, in Hollywood. Uh, and so I love uh, those I'm, movies. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of television history. And, uh, and uh, I, I got to write, uh, a sort of a, a story about the two of them and their movement during the brief time when they were in 1973. Their movement, we, we get to see in the movie some of their movement through high society in Los Angeles, uh, but I, I get to write sort of this this Hollywood TV, uh, you know, network TV pastiche. That's uh, amazing. With, with, with how the two of them get involved with it, and it, it's just wonderful. And the 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 the, the story is actually called Murder, Murder, Murderer's Row, which is how they referred to CBS's uh, TV lineup on Saturday nights in 1973, uh, because that was the best night in television history. Because it had uh, it had it had uh, All in the Family followed by Mash followed by. Uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, followed by the Bob Newhart show, followed by the Carol Burnett show. So uh, you know, th this is this is something where there's a network producer who's trying to get the apes into their own show to fight against that that lineup. And there's all these meta jokes that are involved in it because I mean, uh, uh, Roddy McDowell actually appeared as Cornelius in costume in a Carol Burnett show. So <laughs> it's. Uh, again, for people who love in jokes, there's there's quite yeah. a bit there. That's coming out in February, and in, in the meantime, I have some other uh, reprint volumes. Uh, Dark Horse is putting all of my Mass Effect stuff in an omnibus that comes out in November, and Marvel in March is releasing the second volume of the three-volume Knights of the Old Republic reprint. Uh, that's uh, that's the series that I did for five or six years over at Dark Horse. Uh, first volume's already out. The second volume, you know, 400 pages, uh, uh, includes the entire middle chunk of the series, as well as the uh, the handbook that we did that uh, Dark Horse never reprinted. So that's going to be a real cool thing. You people are going to be able to get these three volumes and get the entire, you know, Knights of the Old Republic comic series. Amazing. So uh, you're kind of blowing my mind with how much you've written just in this last year. Um, how just thinking about the the words, the word count and the page count that you went through is is amazing. So I have to ask if you have a writing routine. Like do, what what you wake up in the morning, what's your routine? Like how do you do you have a certain number of words you have to get out, a certain number you just write for a certain period of time? Yeah. Uh, you know, when I when I was writing at my day job, I, I would write at night when I was moonlighting. And I, I've been writing full time here for the last nine years, uh, almost ten. 
And yeah, unfortunately, I haven't re- been able to break myself of the most productive hours being in the evening. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, that that after dinner to late night period uh, you know, still is when I get the most done. I have added afternoon writing sessions uh, since then, which that's really been by necessity because the novels require that kind of a word count. And in the mornings, I'll just deal with business or my website or social media or whatever. And, uh, you know, the thing with a novel is I find that I cannot take a day off. I've got to make some progress on it daily. I have to get a thousand words or whatever, even on the weekend days. You know, I might skip that afternoon session, but I will hit it in the evening or I will lose the flow of the story and I just won't make, you know, the word count. Uh, but that that really is peculiar to novels because you, you've got to get that much done. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you were asking about the word count for this year. Uh, it's been about a third of a million oh, uh, words. So it is, it is, uh, and and the last two months I've been doing nothing but proofreading and, you know, I'm, I'm working on a redesign of my website, which is finally about done. I don't have the brain to actually write at the moment. <laughs> but, <laughs> I can't, but I don't I'm, blame you. But I'm but I'm but I'm getting back there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm getting back there, and uh, you know, it, redesigning my website has been kind of fun because I've been able to reread all of the notes that I've got on all the previous books that I've done, and yeah, get a sense of you know, sort of the ebb and flow of of you know where I've been and what I've been working on for the last uh, you know 13 or so years. Wow. You're you're just you're blowing my mind. I just I can't I can't imagine. I well, mean, none, of, none of this even gets into Comicron, which is the other site I run. Which is uh, <sighs> Comicron is the is the uh, it's it's the go-to place for sales charts on the comics industry. And this goes back to when I was working on the 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 you know the trade magazine uh, for 20 years. It'll be 20 years next month. Uh, I have uh, have I have reported estimated sales for the comics. Uh, that have come out from uh, from the major publishers, uh, and uh, and now I've got the world's largest repository of sales figures on uh, on uh, American <laughs> comics over on that website. You know, it's not a thing where I work on it every day, but yeah. uh, it is. You know, once a month I go over and do that, and uh, you know, I it's it, it's it's kind of fun because I I do so many interviews like this, uh, mm-hmm. but I also. You know, just before this call, I, I was uh, I was on with the Wall Street Journal, uh, doing a talk with them about the state of the business. Uh, you know, I was at a convention this past weekend. I did a couple of panels on my own work and on writing, but then I did a panel on the state of the comics industry and the, you know, the sort of the history of it. Yeah. Uh, I like being able to do that to make comics my hobby again, mm-hmm. even as it's also my job. Yeah. So, how many clones of you are running around? <laughs> <laughs> I could use a few more. Yeah, you, we could all use a few, but I don't know, man. You just blow my mind. Well, it's uh, you know, it, I, I have to feel that you know, I, uh, I, I call it work, and it is work. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I've I've done jobs I wasn't really particularly interested in, you know, where I was not interested in the things I was writing about. Yeah, if ever I think that it's drudgery or anything, I think about going back and writing articles about lumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, anything's better than that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so you know, I I I I may complain that it's a lot of work, but I also know that it's a blessing, uh, and certainly compared to with, you know what uh, what other uh, other jobs I might have or what other people have to do in their own their own lives, I'm 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 happy that I'm able to use the skills that I've got to the extent that I have them to offer some people some escape. Uh, and and make their lives a little more interesting by you know doing some imagining freelance for them 
and uh, and and we go. I've been able to do it for a while, and uh, hopefully, I can continue doing it. We're all the richer for it. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to the Prey books. Um, I, I've not nearly read as many Star Trek books as I have Star Wars books, but um, just the you know the synopsis that I read and the one that you just gave here is is it's I'm, I'm hooked. I'm going to be those, into it. Those so. books are designed, and uh, and my takedown novel is also designed to be understood by people who haven't really seen any of it. So you know, I always try to make everything. Every every story is somebody's first. So. Yeah. You, know, you just have to have a nodding understanding of what's going, what's going on in Star Trek to, to be able to get it. Uh, people can find me on my website, farawaypress.com, and also on Twitter at JJMFarAway. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. I definitely appreciate it. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Another fantastic episode come and gone just like that. Just like that. And I really, I hope you like the summer. Like, where did the summer go? Exactly. But you know what? Fear not. We have a whole collection of interviews. If this is your first time listening, or even maybe your welcome. second time, welcome. Welcome. You are and here. We've and... got almost a hundred episodes for you to go download. Exactly. Well, you know what? One of my favorite things when I find a new podcast or something I really like is going back and being like, yes, all these episodes I get to I get to listen it's to or starting watch. to the beginning. Exactly. So. If you want to do that, you can go find us. We need to f- get a central place. I feel like we're going back and forth on if we should have a website or not, but I feel like we need to have like a place where we can send people to, like a uh, .com that we can... I don't well, know. I've been telling you to set up one of those... <laughs> Whatever. Tumblr account. J- 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 Jamie's sitting there like, yeah, okay. Why haven't you done it, man? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we could just... You know what? Let's make that a mission. By the time okay. this episode airs... We we're going to have a Tumblr site. So go to see our Tumblr site, which is where we're going to be. Okay. That's going to be our central location. I mean, you can always go to Geek Dad, and you're right. going to get a lot of other great content there. Um, but if you're just looking for our show, the Great Big Beautiful Podcast Tumblr, which we'll be linked to at the Geek Dad site. And yes. next episode, we'll give you the address because we haven't actually set it up yet. <laughs> and <laughs> we're on YouTube now, and we're, we need we need 100 subscribers to be able to get a YouTube.com slash whatever. So right now you can find that. It's linked up on the Geek Dad site. You can get to it that way. Or you can just search for us, right? Yes, just search for us. Or you can find us on Facebook. We're everywhere except the we are, ex- except Except Tumblr. Yes. But now we are because of like the magic of time <laughs> travel through podcast magic, right? Yes, we will do it. We will get there. And Isaac, okay, can you hold on a second, buddy? I'm almost done. Almost done. Two seconds. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has subscribed and has liked and shared. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe send us a tweet or send us a Facebook uh, comment. Let us know what you're liking about the show, what or what what gets your you know gets you going for your for your geek fix. What you want to hear? Just you know, let's talk. We want to hear from you. Yeah. And I, I will say, um, as an aside, because this episode is already going way too long, um, this episode's interview, John Jackson Miller, um, he was on the list uh, as, as it was, but the suggestion to have him on actually came from a listener. And so because I got it from a listener, I kind of bumped him up and, and, and made a point to contact him sooner than I may have otherwise. So well, thank there you. We go. Thank you, listener. You thank you, listener. I wish we knew their I wish I knew their name. I would give them a shout out. But thank you, listener. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. I am Justin at 140 Justin C. I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. And have a great week. Take care. (laughs) Bye.
This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.